You know the most brilliant minds we see on the news or the research that's showcased in the newspapers. While we see these amazing stories in the media, we often never hear about the humans behind those stories. And I want to know what drives them. Hi, I'm Shania, your host, and on season two of the Global Health Collective, I will uncover what inspires the world's leading health experts and what motivates them on a daily basis. Welcome, and let's see what we have in store. Hi, everyone. We have here Claire Bodkin with us, a family medicine resident physician. Dr. Bodkin has an interest in queer and trans health, healthcare in detention, public health, healthcare for substance users, and harm reduction. And you know what? You name it. She has an interest in absolutely everything health promotion. And we are so, so excited to have her here with us today. Hi, Claire. Hi. Thanks so much for inviting me to come chat with you. We are so excited to hear, you know, your inspiration, your why, what drives you on a daily basis. Now, first questions first, tell us your typical day in the life pandemic edition. Um, so I live in the East end of Hamilton with my, uh, spouse and our two dogs. So usually in the morning, we're having pretty, pretty early, but quiet morning here of, you know, coffee and dog walking and all that good stuff. And, um, and as a healthcare worker during the pandemic, I've continued to, to work throughout the pandemic. So uh, as a resident physician, that can look like a lot of different things. Today, I was running a family medicine clinic over the phone from home. Um, but other days I might be, you know, in the hospital or in the family medicine clinic. Uh, and then the evenings are often the time that I have to use uh, on other like community organizing or um, activism related work, as well as trying to study and then big fan of cooking have gotten really into more elaborate meals during the pandemic. That's for sure. So we've been doing a lot of cooking and then, you know, more dog walking. So that's sort of my, my typical day in the life. Plus of course, an excessive number of zoom calls, which I feel like we're all, uh, all experiencing right now. Yep. I can totally relate to that. Now, what kind of differs in your day-to-day routine pre-pandemic and during pandemic? Uh, so definitely doing clinic from home is a big change. Uh, so when the pandemic started, we have a guest bedroom and we like pushed the bed up against the wall and created a home office space, knowing that I would be doing a lot more work from home. So that's, different. And then I am an extrovert. So I love hosting dinner parties and barbecues and backyard hangouts and all of that. So it's been a mix of, you know, not doing that and moving to more online um, socials. And then depending on the state of the pandemic and the lockdown and that kind of thing, a lot more outdoor activities. So like going for walks with people or having people over in our backyard or, um, uh, yeah, th- those sorts of things, I guess, for, for the extrovert in me. That's awesome. Now, I'm curious to know, what is your passion? So let's think about this. What is your why? What has fueled you pre-pandemic and what continues to fuel your, your fire during the pandemic as a healthcare worker, as an advocate, as a leader in our community? 
This is such a good question because I think it really does drive so much of what we all do every day. And also I don't sit down to think about it very often and I don't stop to say, well, what is my why and what is driving me forward or engaging me in this work? And when I did take a minute to, to think about it, getting ready for our conversation, I think it's a balance between um, hope and rage. Like, I think there's so many things in the world that are so uh, unfair, so much injustice, so many ways in which we discard people, we treat them as disposable, we um, don't care for each other, we don't care for the earth, and that really makes me angry and, and anger I think is an emotion that that moves me to action moves lots of people to action but I think if it was just anger alone it wouldn't go very far or it wouldn't necessarily result in anything better and that's where like hope and love come into it of thinking you know there is the possibility of a better world there is the possibility of treating all people and the earth with dignity and respect there is the possibility of building worlds and futures that we all are valued in and and that also fuels me which I know is a bit of a, a woo-woo answer but when I was thinking about it I was like it really is like some days I'm so mad and other days I'm so hopeful and and that I think together propels me and the work that I do. Now it seems to me like you have grounded yourself in a moral responsibility of being an active citizen and taking this opportunity as a person who has the access to education and has the access and resources to make a difference and you're really using it and you're really honing down on that passion of yours to impact whether it's one person or, or 10 people or hundreds of people you're really driving your energy in that way um would you say would would you agree <laughs> um that is very lovely and flattering. I think it's it's tricky because this work, I mean, your point about having access to resources and um, and power and all of those things is very well taken. I think that the reason I can do the work that I do is because of that um, access to like, you know, financial resources, to education, to um sort of the credibility that comes from being a doctor without necessarily having to do anything else to earn that credibility and i also think that like there's so many amazing people in the world both in my life and and not in my life who are doing the very important work of raising children of building community of taking care of each other of feeding each other um you know and we don't we don't necessarily see that right like that's not what like makes the news or blows up on social media or um, is a narrative that gets really highlighted and shared. So to answer your question, I mean, do I feel like I have a moral responsibility? Absolutely. Do I think that makes me special? Not really. Like, I think we all are in this world and we all owe it to ourselves and to each other to do what we can where we are. And how does your role in the community and in education relate to your work in advocacy and what does advocacy really mean to you? Yeah, so I think, I think I see myself as a whole person rather than an advocate. 
or a physician for that matter. Like I'm a, you know, I'm a family member, I'm a spouse and a sister and a daughter and a granddaughter. Um, I'm a neighbor, I'm a friend, I have all of these different roles um, and being a physician is part of that. I think that being an advocate isn't actually necessarily, like I don't see it as a role, I see it more as an action. And what I mean by that is like, I engage in advocacy activities or activism activities but my identity, I think, is not, or I hope that it's not actually tied up in being an advocate because the work isn't really about me as a person. Um, it's more about like the relationships we all have with each other and the community that um, you know, we're all a part of together and the world that we live in, which really treats some people, like I said before, as disposable or um, worth less than other people and the potential of building a world where everybody is valued and cared for. Um, yeah, so, so I guess I, I see myself as like a whole person who has these different roles and different responsibilities. Um, and then advocacy is an action that I, that I try to take within those communities and those different roles, uh, because I feel a responsibility to, and because I also think that, you know, that, that better things are possible and that we can, we can, um, have a world where everyone's valued. That was a very long run-on sentence, and I am sorry for that. <laughs> no worries. You know, it sounds like like that was actually the most comprehensive answer I've ever heard, and I think it was such a wholesome answer because we get tied up with the title, and I listened to this. It was like an, a podcast, I would say, a year ago, and it was saying, never define yourself as your... I guess your job title. So you are not just a physician. You are not just a student. You are a daughter, a sister, like you are everything that you just listed. And I think that it's super important to have the confidence in saying that. And I think a lot of us sort of lack it and we tie our self-confidence and our self-perception to a title. And that's sometimes where we lack a little bit of self-awareness. And how did you develop your self-awareness and your confidence to be so reassured in who you are to move and to create ripples in the world? Uh, great, great question. So I think part of it is that I have amazing like friends and relationships and role models for that. So um, I'm a queer person and in queer community, you know, there's lots of people in my life and in my community who are politicized, who are activists, who are advocates. Um, and so being able to see them do the work that they're doing, but also have them support me and encourage me to, um, you know, take action on the things that I see and feel able to, to change or act on. I think that's a huge part of it. My mom uh, has always identified as a feminist and been really vocal about um, her politics and, and her work in the world to create a better world for women specifically. Um, and so I think that also that like role modeling is a huge part of things. Uh, and then part of it, like I'm 35, I didn't go to med school until I was in my thirties. And I think age also just helps. Like you just become a little bit 
more confident in yourself, the more experiences that you've had. Um, and also you kind of, or at least for me, I realized that like, I'm going to screw up sometimes, right? Like I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to do something that I realized was actually a, a bad idea. I'm going to do something that was well-meaning, but it turns out that the impact of that was really crappy. And I think uh, like getting over the fact that you're going to make mistakes and just being like, okay, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to do my best not to make them. Once I do make them, I'm going to be accountable for them. I'm going to try and learn from that. It's sort of liberating because then you're like, okay, I don't have to be perfect to do this work. I just have to be like accountable. That's amazing. And I think, you know, with your years of experience, how did you find the areas of work that you were passionate about or are passionate about? And what advice would you give to young professionals or students that are in that process of finding what you're passionate about, dealing with failure along the way, but still being reassured in your choices? Yeah, so I think like everything that I have gotten involved with, I would say has come out of some sort of authentic connection or experience to whatever the issue is. And that might be, that connection or experience might be through like my clinical work. It might be through my own personal experiences. It might be through, um, you know, like friends or loved ones who have experienced something. Um, so yeah, so I think like having having some sort of authentic connection, which can look like a million different things is an important part of whatever you're getting involved in. And then I also think just like trying some things, getting involved, like just because you decide to join a particular group or committee or, or volunteer for a particular thing or learn more about a particular issue does not commit you to being involved in that for the rest of your life. And so trying out some different um, things to find out not just like what you're interested in, but also how you want to participate, whether like maybe you're the person who organizes groups to like, you know, meetings and minutes and moving projects forward, or maybe you're the person who's creative and makes art and videos and tells stories, or maybe you're the person who, you know, shows up with a meal for a friend who's going through a really hard time. There's so many different ways to contribute to the world um, that I think it's, it's good to, to try some different things out and see what you're like, yeah, this, this works for me. Or, you know, I tried being the person who organized the meeting for the group every month and I hated it. I don't want to do that. So I would say try some different things out, see where you have an authentic connection. And then I think, you know, when you're getting involved in something new, it's important to try and really understand what work is already happening in that area, whether that's through like doing your own reading and research and listening to podcasts and um, watching YouTube videos and reading blog posts and whatever. Uh, and then also like, as you're getting into work with a particular group, probably when you start out, you're going to be doing the like sort of more, I don't know, the stuff that requires less like leadership and planning and more of the like frontline or like behind the scenes work that needs to get done. And then the more that you are involved, the more that you'll have that opportunity to, to step into leadership roles, to try organizing, um, organizing something. 
or maybe you're going in a new direction. Maybe you're starting something totally new, which is super exciting. Um, and then you have that opportunity to kind of build it from the ground up and take on that, that leadership role. Actually school, I think is such an awesome place for that, like university being able to, to start advocacy projects or, or projects for change where you can, um, you know, work within the school and the program and the curriculum and really see that project through from start to finish. Well, like they always say, right, you will not know something's your passion until you try it. You don't know something's your passion until you've actually experienced it in whatever capacity that might be. So I think it's just having the confidence and trying a hundred things and knowing that one of those hundred things are going to be something that fuels your fire and fuels your soul and makes you super, super happy at the end of the day. So I think it's just accepting failure and accepting that there will be hurdles along your way, but just understanding how to overcome those hurdles and understanding strategies that work for you and might not work for everyone else, but are very unique to you. Totally. Totally. And question for you, what is your biggest challenge that you have faced and what do you learn from that? And let's think maybe pre-COVID and then one during this pandemic. Oh man, I've had lots of, no shortage of challenges. So, um, I mean, one of the things that really sticks out to me is, uh, I worked for a long time for the YMCA in camping and then I got hired as the volunteer assistant director of staffing at a camp that was for queer and trans young people or young people from queer and trans families. And I had not really been particularly like politicized up until that point. Um, and I also came from this pretty hierarchical environment where like, you know, there was a manager and the manager hired all the staff and that person was the boss. And if you broke your contract, there would be consequences and, and that very like top down approach. And so I came to this new environment, this camp and thought, you know, well, I'm a camp director and I've been doing this stuff for a long time. And I, I know what I'm doing and, you know, in hindsight, obviously that was not well received. People were like, you've never been here before. You've never worked on this team before. You don't understand our dynamic. Um, you're, you're really like missing some key pieces of like who we are and why we're here and what we believe in. But you're just like, well, I'm a camp director. Like I know what I'm doing. And so I, I learned so much from that first year of being a part of that staff team about, um, you know, like being quiet, listening, really seeking to understand how things existed and operated within a, a group of people before I, you know, put my own spin on things or, or gave my own um, approach to changing, changing things and that kind of thing. So um, yeah, I mean, how did I get through that? I mean, there, I cried sometimes and there were days that were really hard, but also I had some people that I trusted that I could talk to and um, debrief with and who I trusted to give me like good advice about what I could do differently. Uh, and then the nice thing about summer camp is like you take a whole year off before you go back again. So I had a chance to sort of hit pause and reflect and, and reset a little bit. Um, yeah, so, so I mean, many challenges, but that's certainly one that comes to mind. 
Amazing. And I think that might have shaped your, like you mentioned before, your anger sometimes that fuels your passion. And then post-pandemic challenges. I mean, oh my goodness, so many. I think it's really scary. Like I find the pandemic scary. It's scary. My, my Nana lives in a retirement home. I worry about her. I have um, chronic liver and lung disease. I worry about myself and like what would happen if I got COVID. I worry about my patients and what's going to happen to them. Um, you know, like it's a stressful, it's a stressful time for all of us. Um, and in terms of, of like biggest challenges, I mean, I think, so I've spent a lot of this year working with a group of people around the issue of people who are not able to access housing in Hamilton. Um, and for a variety of reasons, like people who either don't want to be in shelter because, you know, there's a higher risk of COVID transmission there, or they can't go with their partner, they can't bring their pet, or the rules are too restrictive or, or whatever, or who actually are banned from shelters, so don't have that option. And I think even though I've been doing community organizing for a long time, I had this like naivety at the start of the pandemic that like really we were all in it together and like people were just going to like understand and step up and we were going to do what had to be done to make sure people were housed. Um, And that is not what has happened. Uh, And I think that like that's been very enraging and disheartening and especially like there's apathy but then there's some people who are like outright angry quite publicly and like nasty quite publicly about the work that I've done with um my like co-organizers and and community collaborators and that's been that's been challenging that's been really really hard and getting through it I mean part of it is that when you keep it in perspective and I realize like I have a house to go home to every night and a bed to sleep in and enough food to eat like that really helps to keep it in perspective. But then also the people that I organize with are amazing and we support each other and we, you know, if somebody needs a boost, we go for a walk. If somebody needs to vent, we can call and vent. Like there's a lot of support built into to that as well. And I feel so fortunate to have a home that is, you know, not just that I can go to, but that is safe. I'm in a relationship that is like safe and loving and supportive. And that's just not everybody's reality right now. I can 100% relate to that. I launched a charity with my sister during this pandemic. It's called the Canadian Courage Project. And we support homeless youth and specifically those with animals. And it's because we had no idea that the rate of a individual having housing is so much lower when they own an animal companion and rather promote ownership rather than take that animal companion away from them because that's the only support that they have. And so I relate to you on the anger level Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, because, you know, we, whether you have a pet or not, just having a companion, you disregard the importance of that, especially during a pandemic like the one we're living through. Totally, totally. That sounds awesome. How did you guys start that? Thanks. Um, so we, my sister, so she volunteered at the SPCA for years and she noticed a lot of animals coming in were from those who didn't have the means to support them. 
And so it was last Christmas, so 2019, we, she was like, I need, I need to do something. And so we created these care kits and walked around downtown Toronto and delivered them by hand. And she was like, oh my gosh, like I need to do this on a regular basis. Like we need to figure it out. And I've always wanted to start a charity. And so we found it, it just like, it just clicked. And we were like, we're doing this, we're doing the paperwork, we're starting this organization. And we started working on it last January, got it launched in May due to yeah. <laughs> things that happened, obviously. Yeah. And um, yeah, since then, we've been working with various shelters and organizations. And currently, we're trying to move our efforts. We got our feet off the ground. And so we really want to start pushing for housing. And we want to start supporting individuals that are currently living in shelters and are moving into independent housing. Cool. And, yeah, and, and creating, so we started with care kits for specifically individuals at shelters, and now we want to do care kits and sort of like just basic things that they might need moving and making that transition and supporting them in that move, um, and especially those individuals with pets. Awesome. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. So, um, so what is your favorite memory from your work during this pandemic and how has it impacted you in the long term? I think there have been more than a few moments where I've been with people I'm like working with or co-organizing with and we just sort of look each other in the eye covered in PPE and something ridiculous has just happened and we're like, oh my goodness, can you believe this is our life? Like our lives right now? Like as if we're like in a global pandemic and then you know, trying to deliver babies or trying to, um, you know, figure out how to get 200 meals out to people or, or whatever. So those, there are some like funny and fun moments of connection of just being like, humans are quite adaptable. Like there are lots of terrible things that are happening right now, but here we are just like trying to figure out how to make it work and doing that together, which is really the only way that, that anything works is if we work together. Um, in terms of a specific memory during the pandemic, um, I think that we've had uh, two like online events with HamSmart, who I organize with. So we had a webinar on mutual aid, and then later we had a report back on the encampment injunction uh, process with the city of Hamilton. Um, and both of those were really, really lovely. Like, you know, each one had sort of 70 to hundred people come and we got to have these beautiful conversations about what was happening in the community and how the community in Hamilton is trying to respond to the pandemic and care for each other and, and our neighbors who are unsheltered right now. And it was just really special to, to think, I think if you, a year ago you had told me that we could create that kind of online space for people to connect, I wouldn't have believed you. I would have said like, no, you need a room. You need to bring people together in person. You need to share food. And I still love all of those things, but it's been really special to have these times of community connection uh, online as well and for that to actually work, you know? So that's been really, really special. And I think it's, uh, for me, it's opened up my mind to um to the possibilities for connecting online in new and different ways 
even after the, the pandemic is done and how that makes things accessible, say to like people who have young kids at home or people with mobility issues or um, whatever, you know, those in-person gatherings aren't actually always accessible for everyone. And I'm sure you've probably strengthened, strengthened relationships along the way that you might have never saw coming. And I think that that aids you as an educator, as a community advisor and developer and physician and in every capacity that you are in right now. And I'm, I'm curious to know what is one thing you would tell your early pandemic self with everything that you've learned over this pandemic? What is one thing you would tell yourself, whether it's self-care, productivity, well-being, anything? I think that we all need to give ourselves a lot of slack and like, it's okay to not be productive. It's okay to have days where you're just, or weeks, whatever, where you're just, you know, like in your sweats at home doing your thing. I think the standard needs to be very relaxed right now for people. Um, but I think the one thing I would tell my early pandemic self is to build some routines into this new world or new reality. The things that have been the most beneficial for me from a mental health perspective have been routines around um, like weekly calls with family where we just like set up a, a standing date to be able to connect with each other and then routines around going for walks with um you know my partner and the dogs and uh and those have been some of the the important things in getting through the pandemic for me at least so yeah routines that would be my very boring word of advice and do you see yourself taking them with you post pandemic yeah i mean i yes i think so I think it'll be interesting to see, like, I'm a person whose schedule is often like, Monday night I'm doing this, Tuesday night I'm doing this, Thursday night I'm doing this. And I think that not having those things has actually opened up space for these other routines. So um, I'll be curious to see what happens, but I hope, I hope that I keep um, routines in some way, shape, or form moving forward because they've been so nice as a way of staying close to my family. Like, I, my family does not live in Hamilton. They live uh, all over the place. My brother's in New York and my sister is in Vancouver and, and my parents are in uh, London, Ontario. So in some ways we've been more connected through the pandemic and that's been really nice. I hope that continues. I can definitely echo that and, and fostering the relationships during this pandemic has been definitely one of my greatest wins. And so I'm excited to take that with myself outside of this pandemic into the real world and Thanks. yeah, and now I want to end off this episode with one final question, and it is, what is one quote that you live by? So I have to confess, I don't have a quote that I live by, but I do have a quote that I really, really like, and that uh, I think is applicable to many things that have happened in the last year. Uh, and so this is from a person named Adrian Marie Brown, who is a writer and an organizer in the US. And um, a little while ago, she wrote, things are not getting worse, they are getting uncovered. We must hold each other tight and continue to pull back the veil. And I love that quote. I think um, it reminds me that when I come across some new injustice, it's probably only new to me. It's not new to the people that have been experiencing it. 
And the, you know, we have to hold each other close reminds me that the only way we get through this is together and through our relationships with each other. Uh, so yeah, so those are the, the words. That's the quote that I wanted to, to share today. I love that. And it encapsulates kind of everything that we have been working for online is a virtual community and is building those relationships and working together to inspire change in any way, shape or form. So thank you so much, Dr. Bodkin, Claire, and, and thank you for offering us your inspiration and your motivation to really just uncover what it is you want to do and be bold and be bold in your community. Totally. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for, for having me on and I'm excited for everyone listening. I think the thing I would say is just like, try the thing, do the thing and then have good people around you who can support you when things don't go as planned or when you mess up or whatever, cause that's going to happen too. Um, but, uh, but anyone can, can be involved in, in making the world a better place. And, and my guess is that if you're listening to this, you probably already are doing that work and it's more about like recognizing it in yourself and, um, and nurturing that. So on that note, thank you so much for having me. Thank you.